to let's pod this my name is andy moore and i'm one of your hosts i'm joined in studio with dr scott melson hello sir what's up man how are you i'm good dude i gotta say i really dig the new theme music i know you groove every time i do (laughs) and then on the phone we have our other host bailey perkins hello how are you hello everybody i am great today can't complain all right that's not bad for a weekend um, we, none of our schedules worked out on Friday, so we're up here on Sunday getting this done for your listening entertainment. Uh, a few quick announcements. Uh, just heads up, if you've got your calendar app or your day planner handy, go ahead and get it out right now. A few things coming up uh, that we're going to highlight. But first, as you may have noticed, and I think we discussed previously on the on the show, Oklahoma has a new brand, and this week they announced a new online store full of branded materials. Imagine that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, you can go to shoptravelok.com. And I share this because it's been a big topic of discussion. And I'm a guy who likes a state park branded t-shirt, which they have some really great state like state park branded things on there. You also have the, the color wheel star new brand uh, stuff. Note, Scott and Bailey, none of the materials in the store contain the phrase imagine that interesting yeah so anyway if you want to browse that get yourself a new coffee mug some stocking stuffers get ahead for christmas so back to the calendar a few things in chronological order that we want to highlight this week in fact this coming tuesday is anti-hunger day at the capitol bailey you're involved with that i am we're really excited because it's Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma, Community Food Bank of Eastern Oklahoma, and Hunger-Free Oklahoma uh, coming together this year to host it. Uh, Many people may remember it as Hunger Action Day in previous years, but we renamed it because there is a Hunger Action Month that happens nationally in September. And so it was a little confusing for folks to, to know what's the difference between the day that happens in February and the month that happens in September. So we renamed it um, in this partnership. And so if you see people dressed in purple, wearing a purple button that says, I fight hunger, ask me how at the Capitol on Tuesday, then you know that those are the folks who are engaged with anti-hunger day, talking about food security issues in the state and what our lawmakers can do to help more Oklahoma families thrive economically. So we're excited to have those conversations and hope to see many people there. Excellent. So on Tuesdays, we or on, yeah, on Wednesdays, we wear pink and on Tuesday, we wear purple. I guess that's how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Great. So that's this Tuesday, February 25th, anti-hunger day at the Capitol. Uh, The following week, It's March 3rd, that Tuesday, and that, as you may know, is the presidential primary election. Um, So that means early voting will start next weekend, right? It's always the weekend before? Yeah, the Thursday before, I think. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and we'll talk more about that later in the show. Um, But that's, don't forget to vote on the presidential primary. Both parties have, uh, have elections here. 
Um, we may assume that the Republicans will nominate Donald Trump, but there are other candidates on the ballot. Uh, and so don't forget to vote. Uh, if you are a independent, you can vote in the Democratic primary. If you're, I don't know if there's any libertarians running for president. None, none that I'm aware of. Okay. So I guess they are out of luck. Libertarians are not able to vote then. Can you still get an absentee ballot? Um, I think it's too late. Is it too late? What's the, Do you know what the deadline? I don't. Yeah. Yeah, you have to sign up, I believe it's six weeks before mm-hmm. that. No, I'm sorry, not six weeks. I believe it's a week before the elections begin for to get an absentee ballot if so, you're already a registered voter in the state. So maybe there still is time. Right, like a week before early voting or a week before election uh, day? I believe it's before early voting, so before voting begins. So it would have been last Thursday, this past mm-hmm. Thursday. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it has passed. Well, and one suggestion that I have for those who are listening in um, is to sign up for absentee ballots at the beginning of every calendar year. Mm-hmm. So as soon as January hits, if you are registered to receive absentee ballots, then you get ballots for every election that you're eligible to participate in that calendar year. So whether it's your local school board race um, or um, a, a county issue all the way up to any uh, federal votes that you may be eligible to participate in, you get your ballot um, in advance. And so it gives you the opportunity to look at what you're going to be voting on, doing the research, and you can use that as a cheat sheet, even if you plan on going to the polls mm-hmm. that day to um, that election. But it keeps you informed of every election you're eligible to participate in. So that's something that I do at the beginning of every year to make sure that I'm staying engaged and I'm aware of every election I can participate in. I have not yet signed up again this year for my absentee ballots. However, I got to notarize my first two ballots this week, and that was very exciting. I just became a notary. And uh, I ran into a friend who she's a notary, but she can't notarize her own ballot. And I said, you could be my first one. Uh, And so I got to notarize her and her husband uh, just last night, which was very great. That's awesome. You can sign up for the uh, annual absentee ballots um, at the uh, Oklahoma State Election Board through the online voter portal. You can also do it uh, through either badvoter.org or TurboVote, right? Well. To sign up for absentee, they just link to the election right. board website. But, but if you don't want to like go through their Google and they'll just go to badvoter.org and yeah. it'll give you the link and take you there. All right. So that's March 3rd. Man, we were way off base already. Um, then three other dates. April 1st is going to be Let's Fix This Capital Day this year. Due to the construction of the Capitol, we're just going to have one uh, this session, at least one we're planning on. It'll be Wednesday, April 1st. That day is also the day that the census starts. Don't forget to fill out your census. They we will, need everyone counted. Everyone and your kids and your grandparents and everyone else in the state needs to be counted. It's a big deal. And then um, Wednesday, May 6th is going to be Child Advocacy Day. Uh, and let's fix this. We'll be co-hosting that with the Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy as we have done the last few years. So we'll have more information about that as we get closer. It's not till May. All right. Um, any, any other highlights, uh, announcements we want to put on people's calendar before we move on? Hearing none. Okay, I'm going to do the news. <laughs> We're going to move into this week at the Capitol. Uh, a few things. For one, there's been some developments in the ongoing saga of the tribal gaming compacts. Notably this week, I, I, there's probably three articles that I read. The one that's top of mind for me is 
that the tribes are saying, well, the governor pretty much said these auto-renew, which is distinctly not what the governor said, but they believe that his actions mean the compacts auto-renewed. Bailey and Scott, what do you think about this? I mean, I don't have... I don't have the... Um, I mean, I think that's all... I think that's actually a fairly technical kind of legal question because mm-hmm. there's some language in the compact about... Um, I don't even remember what the exact language is, but it, it essentially says that like if the state does certain things, then the compacts will have considered to be auto-renewed. And what the tribes say is that by... I think like granting like licenses for like horse racing or something like there's yep. some any, any like, part of it. Yeah. It's like because they because they granted licenses for some sort of gaming to some entity. That means that the compacts automatically renew um, lawyers I've talked to seem to think that that's a um, pretty strong argument. The governor's office seems to disagree. Um, I assume that the governor has talked to lawyers as well. So in terms of whether and for me like. I have no idea legally how strong a case that is or not. I think it is telling, though, that Attorney General Hunter has pulled himself out of these negotiations and is not really part of the case anymore. Um, Senate Appropriations Chair Roger Thompson um, asked the Attorney General for an opinion this week. So one thing one thing that the governor's office is trying to do is hold in escrow any funds that come in from the tribes right now because the governor has said that they're supposed to stop Class 3 gaming. The tribes have said no. The tribes have paid the fees that they're supposed to pay for the first month of the year um, to the state, the the conundrum that that puts the state in is if the state accepts the money, they are in essence saying that the compacts are still in force, right? So the tribes essentially sent them a check and the governor is trying to not cash it by holding the funds in escrow. But not send it back. But either. not send it back either. But then the flip side, so the the next part of the story is that Senate, the Senate Appropriations Chair, Roger Thompson, um, asked the attorney general for a legal opinion about whether the governor actually has the authority to hold the funds in escrow and not spend them as they are directed. Um, And they've been, they're supposed to go to education. So this is education money that's being held up. And And it's an estimated 150 million. Yeah. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of money. Yeah. And, and so you've got the Republican Senate appropriations chair asking the Republican attorney general for an opinion about whether that Republican governor can do the thing that he is trying to do, like holding this money, you know, to the side. And then if the AG says, no, he can't do that. I don't know what, I don't know what happens next, but if the guy, I think all parties seem to agree that if, if the, if the money goes to education, then the state has accepted the money, they've spent the money. So that must mean the compacts are still in force and the whole thing is void. Right. I think, and Bailey, before I, I want to hear your, your two cents on this, but I just to kind of recap what you said, Scott. So the gaming is still happening, right? Casinos are still open. Yeah. The tribes are reserving that the portion of that, the the um, exclusivity fees. Yes, the fees, right? So they're they're cutting that off the top, and they're mailing a check to the state, uh, to the government, and saying, "Hey, here's the part that we owe you because we believe these things renewed. So whatever the rate is, like here's the here's the fees." And the governor's got the check, and he's like, shoot, if I cash this, then it, it demonstrates, it says, yes, what you did is correct, we, we want your money, um, and that this is the correct amount, right? And then, so he doesn't want to do that, but he also doesn't want to send it back, he doesn't want to say we don't want it, because then they could stop paying, and we need the money, and we want it, right? And so he, the governor's really in a bit of a pickle. 
Absolutely, and it even puts um, our appropriations chairs um, or our legislature in general when making decisions about what the budget's going to look like this year um, in a predicament Mm -hmm. because that creates a significant hole um, in education funding that they typically rely on year to year. And so if that money isn't there and we're in a flat budget year, then they have to decide on where those dollars are going to come from. Is it going to come from additional one-time funds? Are they going to come from revolving funds? Um, And they're going to have to find... um, creative ways to figure out where to get those funds from in a time where um, the Board of Equalization says that we're not going to have significant extra funds this session. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I think Senator Thompson's question is basically, we know this money goes to education. C- can we just send it over to them or do we have to hold on to it? Like, what do we, what do I do with the money? I don't know what to, do I put it in a coffee can and bury it somewhere on the Capitol grounds? Like, what's the... Um, And the goal is always every year to leave uh, public education, what they call held harmless when it comes to appropriating funds. So meaning that education will get at a minimum what it received that previous year to make sure that teachers don't suffer and classrooms don't suffer um, at the result of any further cuts. And so um, it's a decision that's going to need a quick resolution. Um, otherwise, the legislature is really going to have to go to the, the drawing board and leadership will have to figure out where those funds will come from. Right. Well, Which, and, that, and that leads to kind of the next thing on our list here, because it's not even we thought we were in a flat budget year, but the Board of Equalization met last week and looking at um, looking at the revised uh, revenue estimates for FY 2021, um, looks like the legislature, they're estimating is going to have 855 million less to appropriate than last year. Um, so less than they had thought. So we're already looking, you know, this isn't a revenue failure. This isn't like a billion dollars short right, like we've right. been in the past, but it's, um, you know, 85 million bucks. I mean, you know, that's like real money, right? It's not insignificant. Yeah. So, um, so that's a whole, so that means somebody's going to have to take a cut if we don't raise revenue. That's right. what it well, ultimately means is right. And I think, you know, the other thing is the governor has been saying he wants to put some more money into the rainy day fund or whichever of our three rainy day funds we have now. He wants to save some more money. And I think the argument that a lot of folks are making is, well, can we afford to save if we have less money coming in? Like maybe this year we got to just pay bills and not save as much, which again, this mirrors, I think, the situation that most of us live in on, in our personal checkbooks, right? Like you get your we all know we should save money and you get your paycheck and you buy groceries and pay bills. And you're like, well, maybe I can't save this month, maybe next month, but I got to pay bills first. So I, I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how this plays out. So another bill of note that I thought was really significant and somehow this had kind of flown past me until I saw the headline or the uh, press release the other day, the Senate uh, rules committee passed a joint resolution to call a constitutional convention. So the purpose of a constitutional convention is to rewrite the state constitution. Now this is supposed to happen every 20 years, but it has not, right? Oklahoma still has one of the longest governing documents in the world. The world, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so this passed through by a, a large majority. I think it was unanimous, wasn't it? it? I don't remember the vote, but do you, Bailey, do you think this will pass the Senate floor and go on to the House? That's a good question. <laughs> um, there are things that I've thought 
wouldn't happen politically in the past that have turned out to be so. So I never say never because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you just never know, especially with the populist state that we have, you know, what not only the voters are thinking, but also um, our legislature. And so uh, when it comes to constitutional conventions, um, while it does offer an opportunity to give a fresh look um, at things that have been written for our state that we are binded to since like 1907, um, it does open Pandora's box to where if we make changes into our state constitution, um, it could negatively impact certain things for years to come. Yeah, that's it's a double-edged sword, right? Let's, it is It is definitely a double-edged sword I think that we have to think about with caution. Mm-hmm. Most of us um, who pay attention close or even semi-close attention to Oklahoma's government believes that, yes, we definitely need a, a constitutional convention. There's a lot of stuff that is archaic, um, like one of which we'll talk about in a minute, and that's, uh, oh, maybe it's not on the list, one of which we are not going to talk about today, but it's like the... Uh, what crimes are violent crimes, right? So this week there was a, or last week a bill passed that would reclassify strangulation in domestic violence as a violent crime because it's not. And so those things, there's a lot of that stuff that's kind of archaic that needs to be updated. However, with great power comes great responsibility. And there's the, there's always the chance that doing this um, in today's political climate could have um, very disastrous effects that are yet unanticipated. Yeah, this is one of those things that, like, at face value, you feel like this might make some sense, right? Like, do we need, like, horse and buggy references and regulations in the Constitution anymore? Like, do we need to, like, define... There's, like, an archaic provision having something to do with kerosene. The flashpoint, yeah. Right, like, do we... It made a lot of sense back then. You know, do we need that today? Like, do we... Like, there's stuff in there that's just, you know, I think is, is extraneous. But, you know, the flip side of that is... There are a lot of folks at the legislature who, some for good reasons and some for reasons that I think might be less than honorable, um, really don't like the way that we use the the initiative petition process in Oklahoma, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we have, you know, Medicaid expansion is going to be on uh, the ballot for a vote of the people sometime this year. Hopefully, uh, uh, redistricting will be on the ballot for a vote of the people sometime this year. Like... Um, we've had criminal justice reform. We've had medical marijuana. All of these things have gone into the Constitution. Um, and you can ask very legitimate concerns about whether or not that makes sense. Some folks at the legislature would say <coughs> that this, yes, I have some residual post viral cough. <laughs> you know, um, like the fact that Medicaid expansion is on the ballot or will be on the ballot at some point this year. Um, there are legislators who really don't like that. Some who think it's not a good idea from a policy perspective to have it in the Constitution. Some who don't want it to happen and I think know that it has a really good chance of passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, I think there's legitimate questions about whether or not the initiative petition process is the best way to resolve some of these questions. Well, even, However... I mean, even beyond that, think about the revenue discussion from a couple of years ago that the legislature can't raise revenue without a three-fourths majority in both chambers. Right. That's in the Constitution. Because of a state question. Yeah, right. But the flip well, side of Oklahoma's, that is... Well, in Oklahoma's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just... No, I, I was just... I'll shut up and let you jump in, Bailey. But, like, the, the thing is, the reason these things all go on the ballot is because people clamor and talk and ask about them and there's data like 
And the legislature for years and in some cases decades does nothing, right? Because they think it's a political hot potato. So um, I think I think if if we're gonna if we're gonna have a constitutional convention, I personally think the initiative petition process is something that should be left alone um, until we have a legislature that's gonna try to deal more with tough questions, which I think. I'm cautiously optimistic that we're starting to see that kind of a legislature, but, mm-hmm. but time will tell. Well, I'll add with a constitutional convention. That's one of the things that makes Oklahoma such a unique place as far as governance, because we do give the people an opportunity to participate in decision-making and pushing um, laws forward through the initiative petition process. And so you have the legislature who's there to make decisions, but if the people want to see something done or the legislature wants the perspective of the people on a particular measure, then they can send it to us to help make that choice of whether Oklahoma should or shouldn't do that, Um, especially with the feature of being able to amend the constitution. It's Oklahomans, um, are very thoughtful in making decisions on state questions. I think years past of when we've seen which ones have passed and which ones haven't, we've seen the variance of Oklahomans and how they're voting on different measures. And so they are taken into great consideration. And so because we have that process of being able to amend the constitution, if Oklahomans want to do that, um, then that could be the option that we need is, fixing those things that are archaic through this initiative petition process rather than opening Pandora's box and doing um, unintentional harm by adding and changing things that could affect Oklahomans for decades to come. I I also think this is just a, I, I just think it's kind of funny. You know, we talk a lot about how Oklahoma, like ever since our founding, we have just like a general suspicion of like government and like mm-hmm. we tend to be a very, um, kind of independent minded state and we have our boards and commissions and not really a centralized executive. You know, I think it's interesting that like the founders of the United States, they like had the constitutional convention and then they like ratified the constitution. And it was like, there's a process for amending the constitution, but it's pretty high threshold. And like, I don't tell me if I'm wrong. Has there, when, has there been a constitutional convention at the U S since like the first one? No, I don't think no. there ha- right. Like, there has not been. Yeah. Like all the amendments have come like through Congress and then gone to the States for ratification. Mm-hmm. The Oklahoma constitution says, um, y'all going to get together every 20 years and, and look at this deal. But we, we haven't, don't, we haven't done it in 50 years, but it's like, but, but we've done it multiple times in statehood. Did right? we really do it 50 years ago? Yeah. Well, I need to read more up on this. Cause I'm, if if so, I just think it's cool. Big, that, like, if true, then we didn't fix all these things, right? So they probably looked at it and like clean up on some of the language, but didn't like do a major overhaul. I just think it's funny. Like in our constitution, is you will get together every twenty years and review this document, and like that's probably because our founding fathers of the states saw how things were working with the federal government and were like, let's not do it like that. All right. Well, um, three other notes, and we're going to move along with our show. Two other bills that I wanted to highlight because I found them interesting this week, maybe not the same gravitas. Representative Mickey Dollins had a bill that would, all it does is require the suicide prevention hotline number, phone number, to be listed on the back of student IDs for high schoolers. And it, so far, is uh, passed out. And I think that's a great deal, right? Like, this is a, a 
this is one of those bills that's common sense. We have a really high suicide rate in our state. Um, and as someone who um, has been on the state suicide prevention council, I, I wholeheartedly endorse this kudos um, to everyone who voted for that. Secondly, <laughs> I didn't well, know. And, and Go Andy, ahead. can you talk a little bit about the difference time can make in just having a resource available? Yeah. I mean, so I think there's, there's two thoughts, right? Like there's what most of us think about individuals who are contemplating suicide. And then there's actually what the data says. And I think most people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid that talking about it will make people more likely to do it. And there's a, a mountain of data that says that's not the case. And that just having the access to resources, the ability to talk to somebody about the fact that someone is feeling suicidal dramatically decreases the likelihood that they will complete suicide. And so, you know, if you are, I will say like, as an adolescent who struggled with these thoughts at points in my life, um, you know, I, there was, when I was 15, there was no awareness. I don't know if there was a national number, but man, it'd be cool if there was like, if I had known that I could have called this hotline instead of like waiting on call, waiting for my friend to click over from talking to somebody else to talk to me. Um, and I think it, it, it's literally the matter between life and death. So this is a Absolutely. huge deal. And then so many teens have cell phones nowadays. And so with just having that resource that they can visually see and they can call in the moment. And they can, can yeah. And they can text too. Save a life. So they don't have to call. They can text, which is even better. Yeah. This is a, this is a fantastic bill. Big deal. Huge, huge. Um, also on a lighthearted note, but still serious. Apparently it's illegal for snow cone <laughs> stands to be open in the wintertime. Did you guys know this? I did not. I know that we didn't see them after a certain part of the year. So they would be everywhere from what, like May to October, and then all of a sudden they disappear. Yeah, I I assumed it was because it was (laughs) too cold. Yeah, I I thought it was less a legal question and more of a meteorological phenomenon. Right. Right. When I I was in middle school, I lived in Minnesota. We had a Dairy Queen, and it closed in the the wintertime for that reason. No one wanted a dilly bar in the middle of Minnesota winter. Um, But apparently in Oklahoma, there's a law, and I haven't yet looked it up, but I'm going to, that basically forbids snow cone stands from operating in the wintertime. And uh, some of the folks that work at the Homeless Alliance are actually behind this effort to change that to allow snow cone stands, if they serve a hot beverage, to be open in the winter. Sidebar. I think that's a great idea. What do you guys think of snow cones? I, honestly? Yeah. I, I couldn't care less. I don't... I, I don't, well, I don't, I don't, the child in me loves snow cones. I like the idea even of snow cones. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, even as a kid, I never, I, and I don't know if it's because like, I don't like flavored water. So like, I don't like flavored <laughs> ice. I just, man, I've never, like, and I mean, you know, like there are I'm some. I'm the total opposite on this one. <laughs> see, some of these, like some of these, like there's a couple of these stands that do great work. Like you said, with, with youth, with the Homeless Alliance, like I applaud them and like everyone should go give the, give them your business because they do great work. Mm-hmm. 
I just don't care for snow cones. I, I'm well, I'm, and I think it makes a big difference because there are very few places in the metro where you can just walk up and order something and get what you need in that moment. Truth. And that's something that I like about um, the snow cone pop ups that are around the metro is that you know you can just pull your car over or if you're walking you can just walk right on over and get your snow cone my favorite flavor was tiger's blood Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. i dip that port all over and and enjoy that um especially because oklahoma summers get scorching and so if we can apply that concept and they're able to provide someone a hot chocolate or um coffee or something in the winter to help keep them warm then i definitely think it's a it's a win-win for a number of reasons oh yeah hot hot chocolate all that you know what it's probably been it's probably been 25 years since I've had a snow cone, so maybe they're better now. I'll, maybe I, I'll, give it, I'll give it another try. That's the same. It's still water. There are two, for me, and this is uh, not endorsed by Let's Fix This or any other organization, but I would say Shimmer's snow cones up there at uh, Rockwell and Expressway. That was They were unbelievably different and better than others. And then the guys that run Snow S'more, the food truck thing, they have those yeah. like, huge, fluffy snow cones, and they were pretty good. They were, it was too much for me, but... Those are the only ones that I can tolerate. However, um, ounce for ounce, I would rather. I love them all. Give me all cream. the snow cones. Blue, blue <laughs> bell, homemade vanilla, all day long. Preach. <laughs> all right, um, and then um, our last note about this week at the Capitol is actually about next week. Important to know that next week is a deadline week. That means, uh, and this deadline is that all bills must be heard, must be passed out of committee from their chamber of origin. So all the House bills have to pass out of House committees. All the Senate bills have to pass out of Senate committees by close of business Thursday, right? Five o'clock or whenever they end up on Thursday, which means Thursday will be a long day at the state Capitol. They will cram in a bunch of uh, ugly bills up there. Things that you don't like, but you definitely care about will happen um, we will. I will try to share stuff. So on, sometimes they stay even late at night to late. get whatever that's business right. done that uh, they need to get finished. So that's to right. your point, Andy, it, it may not even just be close of business. It could be ten, eleven o'clock at night. And this is this is just out of committee, though, right? And this is not off the floor. Sure. So that's next month. Absolutely. I have one other note. This is a correction from I think I think last week. Um, so there's a bill uh, that would change um, that would change the how, the how the vaccine schedule for Oklahoma. Um, it would uh, essentially require legislative approval for the state immunization schedule. So the the legislature would decide what vaccines we should give kids and not like doctors and the health department. Mm-hmm. I inadvertently this is House Bill 1112. I inadvertently uh, uh, said this was uh, authored by Representative Sean Roberts. That is not correct. This is by uh, Representative West. Um, Josh West. No. Which West? There uh, are three. Tammy? Uh, not Tammy, not Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Kevin. Kevin West, oh, yes. Okay. Um, and so uh, that's that's this bill. Um, it is in Representative Roberts' committee, but it's not his bill. Gotcha. So that's, uh, that's my retraction and correction. Excellent. All right. Uh, our next section. I'm just going to use sound effects whenever I can. This will be our, this was our formerly our quote of the week soundbite but we'll use that for a state question update because there's so many state questions this year we'll just have to give updates throughout the year um a quick update status update for all the state questions um that are currently in play there could be more uh currently we have six state questions that are pending several others have lived and died and moved along uh so we're going to start with state question 802 which would be the medicaid expansion 
They are still waiting for the governor to place it on a ballot. Bailey, any idea why the governor hasn't yet placed this question on a ballot? I know there's still a lot of conversation about concerns of putting this language in the Constitution. I think they recognize that there is overwhelming support for expanding Medicaid to support our rural hospitals to increase access to care, to reduce the cost of care in our state. And so as the legislature, um, you know, thinks through what it wants to do in regards to this, this concept in motion, um, the governor's also thinking through of what his plan is with Sooner Care 2.0. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is strategy on even what makes most sense of time of year to place it on um, the calendar this year. Um, the governor could call a special election for it. Um, that would be costly. It'd be least likely to happen, but it is an option. He could put it on a primary ballot. He could put it on the general election ballot. And so I think there's just a lot of even political questions around what time makes most sense, because we know that many Oklahomans will be driven to the polls to support the state question because health care needs are so dire in the state and everyone can connect to it. And also the campaign is very um, robust. So the message is going to get out to get people to the polls to vote on this particular state question. So I think those questions are still, those political questions, I'd say, are still lingering on what time makes most sense to put it on the the calendar this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's wrestling with several things. So first, um, there's a lot of support for it to pass, and they don't want it to pass. So that's the first thing. (laughs) Second (laughs) second thing, um, um, so the governor has to give 60 days notice um, prior to... 75. 75 for for ballot printing purposes. Oh, so 75 days notice um, before it can go on a ballot. So that means if it's going to be on the primary in June, then he would have to be like mid April, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that he would have to announce it. The problem with that is he's now wanting to roll out his Sooner Care 2.0 plan on July 1st. So he doesn't want to put Medicaid expansion on the ballot before he has the chance to roll out his plan. So that's that makes the primary not a great choice. Um, they don't want to put it on the general election ballot because it's going to drive turnout um, and it's going to drive turnout among voters that may or may not support candidates that are more aligned with the governor. Um, um, like I think they're concerned that that might generate more kind of progressive turnout and help candidates like, you know, a Kendra Horn and then CD five, even some of the, even some of the uh, local house and Senate races. So the general election doesn't look great. Um, I did not know that he could call a special election just for this. Mm-hmm. He can do that. Well, on any state question, actually. Mm-hmm. So he, he can, but I don't. I don't remember the last time that's happened. It's been a long, long time. I mean, that and would, that really would cost. That would do. cost several million so, dollars. That's yeah, why absolutely. he hasn't it's done very it. expensive to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, there's going to be an August runoff, but it has to be on a statewide election. Yeah. And there wouldn't necessarily be a statewide runoff in August. Um, right. So just a lot of questions in play of Mm -hmm. the the, the strategy of what timing makes sense for them to to drop the state question. Yeah, right. There was also there was so there was a big meeting uh, between the governor and the Senate Republican Caucus on Thursday this week at the Capitol, Mm. uh, like two hours, and it was about health care. And the kind of the word the word on the street is that um, there are a lot of Senate Republicans who, for varying reasons 
are not real on board with the governor's healthcare plan. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that don't want to expand Medicaid at all. Mm-hmm. There are some that are fine with the governor's plan. And then there are some that actually want just straight Medicaid expansion. Um, and they are all kind of competing with each other. So they don't have a, the, in the Senate, there's not, um, it doesn't sound like there's, a, yeah, there's not yeah. enough to like get anything done there. Um, apparently the governor, what he's wanting to do now is accept match federal matching funds to expand sooner care starting July 1st and just do that as envisioned under the ACA. He would then apply for a waiver from the centers for Medicare and Medicaid services uh, from the feds asking for block grant and like work requirements. Then any number of things can happen. Um, they can get the waiver. They can not get the waiver. They can get the waiver, but then get it challenged in court, which is what would happen. The waiver could be declared like, like the invalid or like uh, illegal because it goes against the. There isn't a precedent of, for it because mm-hmm. it goes against the purposes of Medicaid. Um, there's a ton of like case law where like work. I mean, work requirements have been declared illegal everywhere they've been tried. Um, um, so, yeah, it's just kind of a. It's it, there's just a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think it'll be on either June or August. We'll see what happens. Um, but in, to, for it to be in August, there has to be a statewide runoff. Right. Like, there could be. I mean, like a Democratic uh, runoff for Senate would be the running its in off. Like if Abby Broyles and there's someone else running for that. Which is, is, is there somebody else running for that? Um, we don't know yet. They haven't filed. It's possible. Anyway. All right. So uh, real quick, uh, a quick rundown on the other state questions that are hanging out there. Uh, state question 805, which is the criminal justice reform measure. They are collecting signatures. Um, state question 807 which would be recreational marijuana. This is the one backed by Ryan Kiesel of the ACLU. Um, they have a legal challenge, and it will be heard before a referee of the state Supreme Court on the 26th, so this week. State question 808, also recreational marijuana, which has been filed by the person that challenged 807, uh, Paul Tay from Tulsa. He is currently incarcerated. They can collect signatures. It's funny. They're the ones that this is the state question that didn't get a challenge. So they're out there collecting signatures, except the leader is incarcerated. So it is very unlikely they will get the signatures they need because he's supposed to be incarcerated for about eight months. Then uh, state question 809, which was filed last week or week before last. That is to repeal the um, permitless carry bill. I haven't even read the full question yet. They received a legal challenge this week from... Oklahomans for Second Amendment, okay, 2A, um, basically said, you can't do this. They challenged the gist, all the usual things. Uh, And so that has to go before the state Supreme Court. And finally, state question 810, which was formerly state question 804. That's the one that I'm doing um, with people, not politicians, to create an independent redistricting commission. We are still waiting for our legal challenge period to run out. It ends this coming Friday. And so we... We'll find out if someone else is going to challenge us again. I assume they will because politicians don't want to give up their power, and that's where we're at. Um, so that's a quick rundown of all the state questions. Guys, anything else I left out that's important there? I don't think so. Great. I'm going to add this a, is little, a good rundown. I'm going to add a little tracker to our website, maybe with like a, an, a constantly updating blog post or something where they can people can read about these status updates, like little Facebook status updates but about state questions tweets tweets from state questions you should make a state question account 
Yeah, that's a lot of work. Should make it. I've got enough Twitter accounts as it is of actual real ones. <laughs> I don't have time to run a fake one. All right. Uh, well, Bailey, I know that you've got a, a prior engagement you need to get off to, so we'll let you go, and then Scott and I will wrap up the episode. All right. Thank you, guys. And Thanks, Bailey. Talk to you next week. All right. Well, uh, we're going to move on to uh, a little section that we want to call today. Let's talk elections. I don't. I miss our horns. I'll play that one. So uh, Scott and I are going to give you a reminder or a brief refresher course of things about elections that you should probably know because it's election season. Scott, when we started this podcast in 2017, right? It was also election season, wasn't it? Um, Well, no, it was just never ending legislative session season. Yeah, that's right. Um, but we did go through 2018 with the election night show version one. We'll do another one of those this year. So uh, we've gained some listeners, two or three, I think, since then. And we wanted to make sure everyone remembers some things about elections. First of all, this time of year, we hear a lot about primaries, presidential and, primaries, and some states have caucuses. Caucuses. What's those, the difference? That sounds fancy. So, <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's quite the opposite. Yeah. So, um, the caucus system is really interesting. So we've had two states uh, that have voted so far in the presidential election that have had caucuses. This is Iowa and Nevada. The Iowa caucuses are particularly famous because they are the first electoral contest of the presidential primary. And essentially a caucus, um, this is where any eligible any eligible voter, right? So um, it depends on the rules of a particular state party, whether eligible voters are you know, just uh, members of like the Democratic Party for Democratic Caucus or whether independents can caucus in the Democratic uh, caucuses. Um, it's it's that's varies from state to state. But what happens is rather than going and like getting into a booth and filling out your ballot, you go to like a high school gym and there's hundreds of people there and you have, say, seven presidential candidates and everybody gets in a little part of like a little part of the gym that's designated for your candidate. And then they count up and see how many there are. Right. Um, this is like a game you used to play in PE class where it's like everyone with blue eyes go over there with brown eyes go over there and you just get in groups. But then it, it, it gets it gets interesting, though, because the way that the Democratic uh, primary process works is that, one, there's proportional allocation, and two, there's a viability threshold. So in order to get any delegates from a primary or a caucus in the Democratic primary, you have to hit at least 15% of the vote, right? Um, so if, like, say that there's 100 people show up to a caucus site, and your candidate has 12 people um, caucusing, then your candidate's not going to get any delegates on the first round and you'll go to a second round and your 12 people get the opportunity to go caucus for somebody else. And you do that as many times as it takes until you get a winner. Um, so it's like, okay, everyone round one line up, Bernie, Warren, Biden, whatever. And everyone lines up. And then let's say, um, you know, Yang who's now out, but let's say he gets six people. They count everyone up. They're like, well, okay, you only have six. So for round two, those six can't stay there. They have to go yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. So Ashley and I were talking about this during the Iowa caucuses um, and kind of watching the process play out um, for endless hours on television because it took until one in the morning instead of... As you can imagine, yeah. trying to get human beings to like pay attention and follow instructions in a group doesn't always go well. Right. Well, so Ashley was like, so wait, you just all go get in a gym and then everybody stands in their favorite group but then you like yell at each other and try to persuade people to come join your group instead. And it's all about politics. And I was like, yes. And then Ashley was like, 
that sounds terrible. And I, of course, was like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds like, <laughs> sounds like my jam. Um, the thing about caucuses is like, one, it, they sound cool. Two, it's like, it is kind of a cool expression of democracy because like everyone is there and you're all talking to each other. You're trying to actively p- persuade people to come join your camp. People are trying to persuade you to join their camp. Mm-hmm. Like, that's cool. Um, there are some significant downsides, I would say, though, right? So, number one, the caucuses, like the Iowa caucuses, are on a Tuesday night at like seven o'clock mm-hmm. and they take several hours. So, like, let's say you're a shift worker and you have a night shift and you have to work. You just don't get to participate, right? There's not another option for you to cast a ballot. It's not like going to vote quickly and then going on to work, right? Yeah, right. Like, let's say that you have children and you're a single parent and can't afford childcare for four hours to go stand in a high school gym <laughs> to decide who should be the president of the United States, mm-hmm. which is really common. That's a significant, right? That's transportation, all the, transportation. All the mm-hmm. There's there are tons and tons of barriers to actually being able to participate in the caucuses. So it it tends to kind of self select. You end up with a group that particularly in Iowa, which is already demographically not particularly representative uh, representative of the country. White. It's you, very white. Yeah, you end, up with a, you end up with a caucus that's not very representative of the country nor of the party. Um, white and wealthy and educated. So so those are the... those are the. Um, that's a caucus. Yeah, that's a caucus. Versus like a primary... Where like, you go vote. You just, yeah, you go vote. But now the same <laughs> rules apply. The same rules apply about the 15% threshold, right? So um, you got to get 15%... Uh, viability to mm-hmm. get to get delegates, and if you don't hit that, then you don't get delegates. I, and uh, I think it's worth also pointing out here that primary elections, the goal of a primary election, is for each party to elect their candidate, right? And and the parties are private organizations, so these are private parties. But primary elections are funded with public dollars, right? Your tax dollars and mine. So regardless, like let's, I'm an, I'm an independent, right? I pay taxes. I can vote in a primary election. That election is, is paid for by my tax dollars. But the point of the election of the primary is to pick a party's representative. And in the past, decades ago, this was done by caucusing, and the, which is generally paid for by the party. Like they reserve the things and they bring the snacks and it's and then they just like tallied up. The whole point is that the party picks the candidate and then it goes out there and we get to vote on it. But... I mean, there's a big shift that happened in the Democratic Party with the 1968 primaries. And if you want to learn more about this, we might do more about it at a future date. But I would encourage you to go listen to the 538 Politics podcast. They had a a four-episode series called The Primaries Project. And the first one, like, has audio from the 1968 Democratic National Convention. And it was nuts. Like, the whole thing was nuts. It was a contested convention, a lot of parallels to what we're seeing right now. I was texting Scott. I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly the same thing. Here we are. Um, It was really crazy. And after that, because it was so crazy, the party moved away rather quickly and dramatically away from caucuses towards more primary elections. Obviously not every state did, but that's that. Okay. So that gives us a baseline caucuses versus primary. Um, and their merits, I would say caucuses are wacky, primaries are normal, as in the general way that we all think about those things. Um, so, as a reminder, what we said at the top of the show is that March 3rd is Super Tuesday. It's called Super Tuesday because a whole bunch of states have their primary elections on that day. Do you know how many states have a... Uh, I want to say 15. That sounds about right. It's a bunch. So... Um, <clears throat> It's like 38% of the delegates. 
for the yeah for yeah the primary. Um, so it's a big deal, and Oklahoma is one of them. So we beginning in the late seventies um, is when we uh, shifted over to Super Tuesday, um, and I um, actually the Daily Oklahoman or the the Oklahoma newspaper has an article today. Today's the twenty third. Chris Castile has an article about when Oklahoma joined uh, Super Tuesday. I'm sorry, I said ni- late 70s. It was actually late 80s, um, 1988, um, when it was the the primary with Al Gore. When was our primary before that? Uh, much later, and we caucused, so they changed it. And so um, Representative Tom Cole, Congressman Tom Cole, has some interesting quotes in there because he was chair of the Oklahoma Republican Party in 1987, when the Democratic leaders approached him and said, hey, we want to switch from caucuses to primaries, and we want those to be on the same day as other states. And he was like, he says, of course, they wanted to create Super Tuesday as a launch pad for Al Gore, Cole recalled. And they said, is there any way we can get you to go along with that? He was secretly delighted. (laughs) He had been scared to death that using the caucus system, all of Oklahoma's Republican delegates would be controlled by televangelist Pat Robertson. And so um, this is a fascinating look. This is back with the like Christian coalition, all that was going on. So anyway, go read the Oklahoma. It's a really great article. I will share it on Twitter. Um, I don't know if there's a paywall. I I subscribe so I can read these things. Um, but really interesting, uh, interesting article. So that's on Super Tuesday. So that's the presidential primary. But then we have another primary election in June, June thirtieth. So not not the first or the second Tuesday, but the last Tuesday of the month. And the purpose of that primary is for all the other races, right? Everything. So, Congress, Senate, State House, State Senate, anything else, I guess. Well, just those. Con- U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate, State House, and any other statewide election, right? Like if there was a there was an opening for labor commissioner or attorney general or something. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. whenever the governor puts it, I guess, but that's what we have this year. So that is on June 30th. And as we've discussed already, you can vote absentee, which is like vote by mail, right? You don't have to have a good reason. You just want to, you can mail it in. You can vote early, which involves going to your County election board, like on the Thursday, Friday or Saturday, immediately prior to the election day, or you can, of course, vote on election day um, and face whatever lines there may be. The June 30th um, primary, in order to vote in that one, you have to be registered to vote by June 5th is the last day to register to vote. So that's, uh, that's a big deal. Um, so if you somehow have missed the voter registration deadline, please go register. Uh, so you can vote in the June primary. That's a big deal. Uh, and then, of course, actual election day is Tuesday, November 3rd. There'll be, a, as we said, like a runoff in August, perhaps. But um, also worth noting this week in the legislature is that Senator Kirk's bill, Julia Kurtz's bill, to hasten the online voter registration availability praise i don't want to say uh praise b because that's from like uh bunch of Hemingway's tale right 
I don't know. Yeah. Not praise me, but like praise, praise something for Senator Kurt for running this bill. Praise Lincoln. There you go. Praise Lincoln for <laughs> for Senator Kurt for running this bill. It's a great great bill. We've been supposed to had uh, supposed to have had online voter registration for several years now. The election board, which does a great job, the election state election board, they're full of great people. They do great work. They do a good job conducting our elections. Um, but it's uh, I think time for this. Well, it's the holdups not <clears throat> them, right? So her bill initially said they had to have it in place by next March, and uh, Paul Zirax was like, uh that's going to be tight. Like don't, don't set us up to fail here. And so they pushed it back to next December, I think. So basically by the end of next year, which was the timeline that the election board was planning on anyway, reportedly the holdup is the department of public safety, DPS, that the integration with them and it's on really the impetus is on them to get their, their technology updated. So that you mean the DOS based systems that they still Mm -hmm, use mm -hmm. aren't up to snuff. Right. Indeed. You go to the DMV and it's like one of those little tiny computers with a six inch screen and DOS. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Wait, this is Oregon Trail. What am I? <laughs> I thought I was getting my license. Um, yeah, so that will hopefully be done by the end of next year, which is a game changer. People can register to vote online. Right now you can you can update your voter registration if you've moved, provided you moved within the same county. So like uh, I have some friends who attended Oklahoma State University and then moved to Oklahoma City they cannot update the registration online because they moved counties. Recently updated my own registration online. Could not have been easier. Oh, great. Yeah, because you uh, you recently moved. Yeah. took. I mean, it took literally three minutes. I uh, got my new card in the mail within a week. Nice. Where's your new voting place? Do you know? Uh, yeah, it's the church on D. McGee, right across from uh, like the uh, sand. Bridge. Yeah, like first yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was curious where the downtown voting locations were. A yep. church I, makes sense. I say that that's where it is. I haven't actually looked yet to see where our polling place is, but that's where we voted the last time that we lived in these apartments. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, right. so I assume it's still there. <laughs> Maybe it changed. Who knows? Um, also, th- so as, as we lead up to that June primary, right, for all those state races, you listeners will see a plethora, a myriad of candidates coming out of the woodwork, right? You probably have already started to see it. I met someone last night that's running for the state Senate. And a lot of folks have said they're running. Many of them have formed campaign committees and they're raising funds and doing that stuff. Not everyone is fully announced um, because the actual candidate filing is not until April, April 8th through 10th. So technically, um, Senator Jim Inhofe, right? He hasn't announced if he's running for re-election or not. We'll find out in a couple of months. Does it seem weird to you, Scott, that they don't file officially file for office until April for the November election, even though many of them have been campaigning already? Like these dates are now arbitrary because because campaigns start earlier and earlier. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think like if you're if you're an Abby Broyles, right, and you're wanting to make a serious challenge to Senator Inhofe, you do not have enough time to do that from April till, you know, April until uh, the November election. So you got to start well in advance of the filing deadline or mm-hmm. even not even a race like that. Uh, Joe Beth Hammond, who's the uh, city council, city council here in, here in Oklahoma City, she started her campaign like well in advance yeah. of anybody else because it was her, right? Like right. she didn't have like you know, a million dollar campaign apparatus to put into mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. So she was out pounding the pavement, knocking doors and, 
you know, putting, putting in the work. So, so you have to do that well in advance of the filing deadline. If you want to have a shot and you're an outsider or not well-funded or going up against a long-term powerful incumbent. Indeed. So the other area of elections we haven't discussed is county elections, right? So there's, I know several people running for county office here in Oklahoma County. Um, like Gary Bloomert ran, I guess that was two years ago. Um, and so those are on the same day. Those are in June and November as well. And so you will start to see all of those candidates. And so just go ahead and like grease the hinge on your mailbox and make sure the flag works because you're going to start getting just gobs of mail, right? And hopefully you'll see people knocking on your front door. Yeah, that's right. It's um, I remember when I came home um, last year before last and our city councilman, uh, James Cooper, now he was campaigning and come to our door and we knew several of the candidates for that seat and um, I he had caught me at a coffee shop one day and talked to me and he was on the front porch talking to my wife and you know he ran to his car to get a binder because he had all his information and um, it's uh, kind of refreshing to see folks out there. Hopefully someday soon we'll be out there knocking doors trying to get signatures for ballot measures as well. All right, um, Scott, one last kind of fun fact or odd fact that I learned today I had no idea about While this. looking at the state election board website, on here there are five lines highlighted in pink that say elections are prohibited by state law in May, July, September, October, and December of even-numbered years. So apparently there's a state law that I need to go look up that says on even-numbered years, which would be either presidential elections or gubernatorial elections, it is against the law to have an election in May, July, September, October, or December. Weird. I I can yeah, it is weird. I'm why I wonder. Well, so I have two thoughts. One is that in odd numbered years, it does seem like we have elections almost every month and it gets to be a lot, right? Like All right, well, Scott, that brings us to the end of the episode. Any final thoughts you have? No, man, I'm sorry I'm coughing. I feel like I I feel like it was not very contributory today because I was coughing. I have to heavily edit this episode and reduce those coughs. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Scott. Thanks to Bailey for joining us as well. Um, By phone, we'll be back next week, probably on Friday, to give a recap of everything that happens next week in the legislature, and it's going to be a doozy. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This Uh, because that helps other folks discover us and become better informed. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. Bailey is at Bailey M. Perkins. And me, Andy, I'm at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Our website is letsfixthisok.org. And on there, you can sign up for a newsletter, read our blog, find resources, details, all that jazz, even make a donation, which would be tremendous. Um, This podcast is produced by Scott and me, and let's pod this as a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is Rhino Funk by artist Sodown. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.